We got the userscape guys on today, but before that, last time we talked about Dr. Dre. Remember? And Beats? Yes. So we talked about Dr. Dre, and then I, I listened to some Dr. Dre, and then I had a dream about Dr. Dre. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> I, figure, I figure we got to talk about this in the show because it's a great dream. Right. So to start with, I haven't had what you would consider a good dream in like forever. In years, like the best I could do is like a weird dream that doesn't wake me up. Yeah. Uh, so my dreams fall into like two buckets. Either it's weird and I wake up and I go back to sleep or it's bad. I wake up and I'm done for the night. Okay. Um, so this one was the latter kind. <laughs> so uh, we talked about the Dr. Dre stuff and then Dr. Dre was on the WWDC keynote and I watched that. And then mm-hmm. I listened to some beat stuff that was Dr. Dre all over that. So and actually listened to the 90s music. So Dr. Dre was in it. So I'm like saturated the Dr. Dre shit. And uh, so I'm having a dream where I'm down on my luck in some way, and I had to go back to work for the man. Right. Now, I haven't had to work as a full-time employee for like 10 years, right, since I left Wall Street. So You're unemployable, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm unemployable and tear, and that's it. So I'm in this dream working at some factory or something, but not like physical labor. It's more like something where there's like a million people all on one flat floor. Okay. And like identical gray cubicles, all typing away in terminals or monitoring something or whatever. Right. And the cubicles are all like waist high. So you could see other people while you're working, right? So that's important. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and for some reason I pulled up some Star Wars photos or something on the screen to look at, to look at Star Wars ships and planets, like clearly right. procrastinating because I'm bored or whatever. Right. And then slowly all these other people start turning and looking at me all with these distorted grotesque expressions on their faces like like if you ever seen the sound garden video black hole sun from the 90s you know what i'm talking about like stuff of nightmares type of thing right? right right so there's this pause where i'm trying to figure out what the hell is happening and i look at my monitor and there's this pop-up message that says you're supposed to be working not checking on your oil investments and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> so i type back so i type back i'm i'm, I'm not work. i'm not uh, looking at my oil investments, these are Star Wars <laughs> pictures, asshole. So then the phone rings and it's Dre, and he he's like as intimidating as a person could sound over the phone, like exactly like he sounded in a WWDC video. Right. And it turns out he owns this company where I'm working, <laughs> and his style of management is like super micro. He he literally sits there with a thousand monitors, monitoring <laughs> all the activity that everybody in this million person room is doing. There you go. Right. And so Dre starts on this lecture about how I'm not contributing and whatnot. And midway, he gets his lawyer on the phone. And the lawyer starts going into these statistics about how, how much margin they get out of every employee on an average day. <laughs> and he starts pulling up these Google Analytics statistics that apparently they're like running on the performance of every person in every cubicle, like live. And my reaction to all this is like epic levels of profanity. Like, if this was a real office, I'd get dragged out by security. You can't curse it, Dre. <laughs> hey, right? I'd get dragged out by security if this was a real office. So I'm having this argument with Dre in the middle of a weird, like, dystopian future type of setting about how people should be treated with respect and you don't own your employees and whatever. So I wake up, and I can't get back to sleep. So I go take a shower, and I'm thinking about what a number Wall Street did on me because... I it, I didn't even question the origin of dreams like this. I know exactly where they're coming from. It's been like 10 years and I'm still having dreams like this. I envy people who start 
in a normal company like Uniscape, for example, and developers specifically who work at good, pure software companies because then they're respected for what they do and they're treated like they're more than like an unavoidable cost to the company, right? On Wall Street, the sense of where you are in the ladder is always there. Like there's no hippie BS, like flat organizational architecture stuff. That's like all nonsense. Nobody's happy. (laughs) I was at Goldman. I remember I was in Goldman once taking an elevator ride down with Hank Paulson, who right. ran the company back then. And I'm heading outside for a cigarette break. I took a lot of those back then. And he's on his way to Washington, D.C. to talk to some men about becoming the next secretary of the treasury or whatever. And we're sharing the same physical space, right, in an elevator. But we may as well be like on totally different planets because – at least that's how my mind is working in these situations. He's running right. an entire company, the mechanics and logistics of which like must be astounding. And I don't even know where my code goes after I check it in or who <laughs> it's being used by or for what purpose or anything at all. So, And I can literally spend my entire life like working there, putting out code without knowing why or where it's being used or for what purpose or if it's being used at all or whatever. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if like only a few levels of management above me, the people there couldn't even care less if I – do put out that code or not. They may not even know who I am other than like the expense line item on aggregate and some quarterly report. So yeah, Wall Street did a number on me, so I may need therapy. (laughs) I I think this is what this podcast is, your therapy. That's right. Your your Wall Street days. Yeah, I can imagine he like doesn't even see you. Like he doesn't, (laughs) like you're invisible to him and he just, he just is. Well, that was, was something. Kind of but Dre, there was no singing. Dre sing? No. This is this is not the Dre that's yeah, presentational, is, consumable, consumable. This is a horrible dream. dream. This isn't a good dream. <laughs> this is one of those nightmare dreams. This is Dre, the manager of a company, micromanager. I don't like it. I didn't like it either. <laughs> All right, let's get to let's get to our guest. Because who, we, who who do we have? We have. Today, the Userscape crew, who you've been wanting to get on forever, Userscape development. Well, two-thirds of Userscape development. We have Taylor Otwell and Eric Barnes, and we might have Chris Fadow if he shows up uh, back at work here soon. He was had a late thing to go to, so we might bring him in in a bit. But hello, gents. Hello. Hi. All right, say your name. Say your name. So Taylor fell are. asleep while I was telling us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Architect Dre. It reminded me of the Matrix or something. Oh yes, that's <laughs> that's perfect. Anyways, I'm Taylor Taylor Weldon Otwell. Uh, I work at Userscape and wrote Laravel and some other cool stuff. And and I'm Eric Barnes. I uh, work at Userscape and um, I haven't built anything super cool. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. And all I can think is uh, Butov taste must do a lot of LSD or something. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> I'm really crazy. impressed by Andre's uh, ability to remember his dreams. Because... <laughs> no, I had to write that one down. Oh, okay. Specifically when I woke up, I knew I was going to talk about it. I see. I, I, I can never remember my dream. Like, I didn't even think I was having dreams for like the past 10 years. And then I actually got in this like, uh, like, uh, like an allergy medicine. Like just a couple a month ago or something, and now I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I think I'm sleeping better, and so I like remember them or something. I don't know. But now, like almost every night, I have dreams that, for the most part, I remember at least a fair chunk of them, which is kind of freaks me out. I don't really like it, but <laughs> they so haven't been weird. My dreams, like if I could be 
it, you know in the movie Inception where they have those people like in that underground like dirty yes. room and all they do is like dream all day like I would be one of those people I would be okay. <laughs> really that, that, I don't know that's too freaky but I guess there you didn't know you kind of didn't know if you were dreaming which I, mean, I guess it's kind of true of dreams I feel like I know I'm dreaming a lot when I'm dreaming like I I sense like I know I'm dreaming but I, I don't wake up but I can I think about it that's awesome my- you could totally exploit that shit yeah, maybe you can. It's called lucid dreaming, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, that's true. Except and, uh, you never do, and then you regret it, and then you wake up and you try to go back, and you can't. We, we got to get on the LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Solve all our problems. There you go. That's it. We've solved it. We're getting off now to go find a uh, supply. All right. Um, We're way off track here. <laughs> go all ahead. Right. But so, uh, so... Yeah, I mean, obviously, we talk about a lot of stuff we do at Userscape on the podcast, and we talk about Laravel a lot, and uh, you know, kind of all the different things that go on. So, it seems like it would be cool to have the crew on. And um, one of the really things I love about the people who work at Userscape is everybody's really entrepreneurial. So, um, they've had projects and companies, and they currently have side projects and interesting things that they work on outside of work. So. I think that's one of the, you know, I, I guess that's one of the things I've obviously looked for in some senses, but uh, I know I really like that kind of vibe to the company. And so, yeah, I think it'd be cool to talk about everybody's experience here and because uh, both these guys have done some bootstrapping now and uh, kind of go talk about the experience a little bit as well as anything else that pops into Andre's head. Cause I think we could, he could probably pest you guys with questions for, two hours here. I, I like to think that, that Taylor created Forge just so he could come on as a guest to the show. It's <laughs> <laughs> the sole reason. That's it. That's it. All right, so let's start there. Let's start with Forge. So, T, give us a rundown what Forge is and uh, why you built it. Okay, so Forge is um, basically what it does is it it configures your servers on um, either DigitalOcean or Linode or Amazon or Rackspace. And what it does is basically install, um, you know, like a web server, Nginx, PHP, um, and kind of all the other goodies you would need to run a Laravel application. And uh, it can also do other things that usually I have to Google, like set up um, SSL certificates and set up uh, queue listeners and cron jobs and stuff like that. Stuff that's just a pain to manage. And really, that's kind of the gist of every Laravel feature. It's either a total um, pain that I didn't want to have to mess with anymore, or it's something that was a pain for us at Userscape. And basically, every Laravel feature can be traced back to one of those two origins. So, yeah, Forge was just it was just scratching my own itch to uh, spin up servers really quickly to run Laravel apps, and um, and, and that's kind of where it where it came from. And 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 like Laravel was built to scratch my own itch, you know. Similarly, other things have been kind of out of that same foundation. Yeah, and it's like um, one of the things that we talked about, or Taylor talked about at the conference at Laracon, um, which I think is kind of cool about it, is that it's like the continuation of Laravel to the next step, right? Like it's like you built yeah. this Laravel app local, but what do you do with it then? And normally at that point, you're like wandering around like yeah you can spin up a server easy nowadays but then you have to configure everything and all that stuff and so it's that kind of end-to-end solution 
Yep. And I mean, uh, and then, you know, part of that solution at the, at the front part, I guess you could say that solution was the new um, Homestead stuff we released, which really came out of a lot of our userscape stuff. I feel like where right. we needed a good local development environment that we could all use and that was really convenient to set up. And so, um, you know, since we're always developing on Laravel ourselves, it's really nice because we're always dog fooding that that kind of product, if you will, and uh, can identify things really quickly on what would be a good Laravel feature and what would make sense in the ecosystem. That's how I know that like something like Forge for you will be successful because like we had a bunch of products on Tear and none have been successful where it was started out as a pre-thought thing, as a product. And the only ones that have been successful are the ones where we wrote it for ourselves especially like the first one, Spam Filter. I did it for myself, and it became successful. And since then, we released a bunch. And the ones that were like prepped to be products that we don't really use, they went nowhere. The only ones that did anything were the ones like we, we used or we wanted for ourselves. So, Hey, one second. Let's, uh, we'll cut this out. Uh, we can call Chris now. All right, so we got Chris Fadow who has joined us. So uh, say hi, Chris, so everybody knows your voice. Hey, how's it going? You can't All right. Speak, but anyway. So we just uh, we just got started. We're talking a little bit about um, Forge, and uh, we'll we'll work work you in, work everybody in here along the way. Um, I finished my thought. I said that I knew Forge was going to do well because it's a product right. that was meant for him. Right, 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 right. Yeah, what? and I would just say that um, like a lot of a lot of PHP code and a lot of products do kind of get written in this vacuum, so to speak. So that's why. I think userscape has been so valuable for Laravel is that before I started at userscape, for example, I was, my biggest fear was that Laravel was not being written for real use cases because I was writing it in kind of a vacuum because I was doing .NET and C sharp a lot. And really PHP was just kind of like the side hobby that I just was tinkering around with. But then once we came, once I came to userscape, there was kind of always this validation that these features are valuable and um, are going to be used and are what you need to build a modern web application because we were using them for, for snappy so much. Yeah, that's been great. Like that's all worked out better than I expected. (laughs) It's really been, been good. And, uh, and yeah, and just how it's continued to evolve and all, all that's happened there. It's like, it's, it's definitely, I mean, I, that's the thing that comes up so much is like people with frameworks and all this stuff, but I mean, it's such a great way to build web apps and it's PHP and like everybody denounces that just out of hand, but it's so great to work in, you know, we work in it all day and it's, it's amazing how, how far it's even just come in the past couple of years and just where it's going. Unbelievable. Now but, you, you should, you should talk about um, maybe after we get more of the background stories on, on the other guys about how, uh, uh, I mean, you talked a, a little bit about this at Laracon, but about how you see like the open source and supporting Laravel as fitting into Userscape as a company. Yeah, yeah, that's um. There's a lot to that. Yeah, so like, we can I guess talk about it real quick. But basically, because because you, you, you're, you're it's a little unusual. You're not Google like supporting right. a whole bunch of various efforts here, right? Right. Yeah, it's like. I don't know, like being involved in the open source is just something I was always kind of interested in, but it's, you know, not my skill level to be the one who writes Laravel, right? Like I can't do that. But, uh, but you know, and I think I've told this story on here before, but just in looking around um, 
for what framework we were going to use to do new stuff and come across Laravel. And it was, you know, the only thing that felt like, ah, like this is what it should be like to work in PHP, you know? So that's where it seemed like logical and um, just talked to Taylor a little bit. And he, you know, was in the cube job and um, was interested in, you know, having the chance to work on it a bit more. And uh, the video actually from my talk is going up. So by the time going up today, probably. So, Uh, so we'll put that in the show notes so people can watch my talk. But yeah, I mean, I just think like if you're a company that's built on open source and you have the ability to, like not everybody's going to be able to like, you know, employ maybe people who work full time on open source projects. And even we don't do that, right? Like Taylor usually spends one day a week uh, on Laravel. And at times he's spent longer periods and at times he skipped those uh, if we were really busy. So, I mean, it's flexible, but um you know, if you have a, I mean, who out there doesn't have an open source library they use? Even if it's just a couple libraries that they use really often and whatever, fix a bug. Um, doesn't take long to do some of these things and you know, fix their websites. Like how many have horrific websites? One of the first things we did for Laravel was we, we had a nice website built for it and it already had a decent website by open source standards, but um, we made a kind of a nicer one. And, you know, so many good open source projects have like the worst websites you've ever seen and it just makes you sad. And so like just simple stuff um, makes a big difference. Now, I do remember reading, I don't remember who it was, but it was one of those like how we grew a company from zero to quarter of a million dollars in two weeks type of articles. Right. And uh, they had like a two year retrospective and they clearly had a paragraph. I don't remember who, I wish I did. Uh, they clearly had a paragraph that said like, we did the open source thing and it was uh, an, a, you know, a loss for us. It was clearly a loss. So mm-hmm. do you see like open source as far as it fits into Userscape to be like, like a charity thing or do you see as bringing actual like benefit to the company? Well, I think that it does bring a lot of benefits. So like, it's interesting uh, how that all works out because, and I think, and I want, I actually had a question for Taylor along these lines too. So this will be a good segue, but so like early on for us, it's a little bit different even maybe, but like, so very early on, like Taylor was building things that we just needed and that we were going to essentially build ourselves like anyway, because either it's something other frameworks don't do or they do it kind of wacky. So like those things ended up back in Laravel and, but we use them also. So it all works out nicely there. And so you're essentially what you're paying for is something you'd be paying for anyway, in terms of just cost. Um, and then beyond that, like, I think it's evolving. Like, so the next phase of like business benefit is that people know us and, you know, that's how we were able to hire Chris. Like he knew us from the Laravel community and Chris is an amazing developer. And, you know, how would we have found Chris some other way, right? Like I would have to, you know, post on monster.com or some, uh, you know, horrible, bad job board, which is a whole nother issue. And, uh, you know, so how, how do you get access to great developers and talent and things like that? And so I think that's a huge benefit, often, on, you know, not something that people don't think about. Um, so, yeah, we spend money in terms of time and, and uh, you know, actual dollars and Taylor's time uh, working on Laravel, but it does have these kind of other benefits. And then over time, like there's these other things that build up around it. Like again, in our case, Laracon, um, which is getting bigger and, you know, other things that we might be able to do in and around the community that I think could be interesting. So, you know, I think it's the kind of thing where you don't invest in it and day one, you release an open source project or you support an open source project and, oh, you're going to back up a dump truck full of money because that's definitely not how open source works. But in the long term, you know, there are definitely, um, I think, benefits and it can be pretty win-win where the open source uh, community wins and then as a business you know you can you can win also and i kind of think 
um, kind of my question, actually, I, I haven't really asked Taylor this directly, but like one of the interesting things that's come about in Laravel, right, is something that every bootstrapper has a problem with is how do you get an audience, right? Like, so everybody wants to start a company and you're always worried about, I'm going to build something and I'm just going to put it out there and nobody's going to want it because nobody knows about it. And how do you, you know, you don't have money to advertise, um, you know, so how do you reach people? And that's one of the interesting things with Forge, right, is that Taylor has this audience now. Like he has Twitter account with 20,000 followers, right? And he has these websites that are heavily trafficked. And so um, that's, you know, a great starting place for somebody who wants to launch, you know, a product. Uh, and so my, actually what I was curious about is may you decide on Forge in that sense, T, because like obviously you could move that in different directions that you kind of have an audience who trust you and uh, are interested in what you're doing. And what was it about Forge that kind of pushed you over the top in, in putting that together? Hmm, I feel like... I feel like at the beginning, like I started working on Forge like back in September and Dale was helping me quite a bit back then with it on some of the initial stages and just figuring stuff out. And I figure it sounds bad, but like in a lot of ways, I think Forge was, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it was to scratch my own itch, but it was also kind of a vanity thing. Like I want, I want Laravel to be the best, the best framework out. And some people don't like that I or right. <laughs> want me to think that, but like I just want it to be the best product available. Just like if it was just like we want Snappy to be the best help desk available that we can provide. In the same way, I want Laravel to be the best PHP framework, period. And so I felt like Forge was um, uh, or, or to get there, I felt like we had to have like a smooth developer experience from beginning to end. And Forge was always kind of like a dream. Like I had mentioned it at the, at the first DC Laracon, um, I wanted to do like an artisan deploy thing. Like I want you to be able to ship your application really easily. And so I just felt like it was a big part of pushing Laravel to like above and beyond what PHP frameworks normally do, which is just like, you know, you get the code on GitHub and you get some documentation and that's it. But we're kind of now kind of pushing it beyond with things like Forge and with Homestead and kind of building these surrounding products that um, kind of boost it beyond the typical open source project. And that's one of the things with open source too, right? Like it's all about like in terms of making money in open source, which comes up a lot. And then by, you know, kind of tangentially how you could support, how you can afford to support open source is like, like, yes, you can't charge for the code you write, but there's, um, you know, these other ways around the ecosystem to make money, whether it's porting an open source project for money, you have a staff that actually formal support or you throw conferences or you have books or you have projects that tie in closely. That makes sense. Like, we're getting kind of technical here, but in the PHP world, um, there's this thing called Composer, and the guy who writes Composer is releasing a commercial package that makes Composer better, essentially. And so you solve the free open source part of it, and then you have a commercial aspect that enhances it. Um, so I think that's open source in general is kind of an interesting model for somebody who wants to bootstrap business or product or something um you know you have to have the right kind of thing i think for it to work but it's uh kind of an interesting interesting way in an approach to the problem versus uh traditional ways we tend to talk about let's get some uh background on some of the other guys before we do that, do our first ever ad. Sponsor. Sponsor. So, you know, we've gone back and forth about this and we decided we're going to we're gonna try this experiment. I think we talked about it last week. So uh, we got our first sponsor, it's Linode. And 
And um, I thought this would be a good time to talk about it too, because I think we have some commentary on Linode too, because uh, we've worked with them a little bit. So, you know, whether you're just getting started or deploying a complex system, launching a Linode cloud server has never been easier. With customizable configurations and lightning fast performance, bootstrapping couldn't be simpler, quicker, or more affordable. Now, for as low as $10 a month, Linode offers cloud hosting for developers, designers, and you. Um, and they did a really cool job. They, uh, they set up a special URL for us, promo.linode.com slash bootstrap, promo.linode.com. Um, it's all like custom for us, which is really cool. And uh, you get a $50 credit on your new account, which will $10 server will run you for five months, which is pretty sweet. Um, yeah, you, and you, you could launch a whole product in five months just off of Linode for free that way. <laughs> I know, that's crazy where this is all gone from. from when, we, when I started Userscape, I bought a server for like $4,000 and put it in a co-location. So did facility. I. We were coloed until we were coloed until just like a couple of years ago, and I switched over to Linode right over the colo. And no. I thought it was going to be impossible because I didn't know anything about it, the administrative stuff. And I learned everything of the administrative stuff just off of their docs. Yeah, everything, docs. everything in Laravel was fantastic because they had great docs, and everything off of Linode was fantastic because they had great docs in turn. So, like, like we never looked back on the colo thing. I just threw that box away. <laughs> yeah, we we gave ours away too, just to the facility or whatever. But yeah, and we're moving Snappy to Linode. Um, totally separate from this and unrelated to this, but uh, Snappy's going to be over there in the next couple weeks or month. And uh, and Taylor with Forge, like you mentioned, um, Forge can use Linode and uh, Forges run on Linode, right? Yeah, Forges <laughs> run. Forges run on uh, five Linodes actually. Yeah. So I mean, we've all we've had a really good experience with them and uh you know everybody here uses them which is kind of amazing so uh definitely check out linode um they got again the new ten dollar server so really cheap to get started and they can scale that all up to you know 96 gigabyte boxes and it's all ssd yeah all ssd yeah lots of unlimited transfer in and lots of transfer out so definitely check it out plus they have the backups and uh, load balancers and all that stuff they got everything you could possibly want it's awesome so thank you linode for sponsoring Bootstrapped. All right. There we go. Our first ad. I think we could do better, but it's a good good starting point. So, <laughs> Eric Barnes. You're on the deck. background of this guy. All right. Let's see. Um, how far back do we want to go? Um, go all the way because you have a great story that'll be interesting. So Okay. It was, it was started off, um, I worked at a, my family owned a motorcycle dealership and um that's actually how I started my first little bootstrapped business is uh, we would have, I was in sales and, you know, was selling motorcycles and uh, people would come in and want to trade them in. And of course, if we didn't want them, then, you know, we would just be like, no, you can't trade in right now. So I said, well, I'm going to build a little classified script, you know, so that way they could come and like, you know, they could give me like $4 and I would just put it on the internet for them. And uh, from that, I built a, basically just a class of PHP classified script and uh, met another guy that his family owned an RV dealership. So we just kind of partnered up and started uh, started selling it. And um, this was back in like 2000. So back then, of course, you know, nobody did the SaaS. So it was all, you know, you buy it and pretty much you buy it and you own it forever. And uh, you could have as, as many administrators as you want. So we kind of shot ourselves in the foot there. But, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it ran good. I guess uh, we were in business for seven years. And then, um, then we kind of split ways. And I went and got a real job. Because at that time, I had uh, one one daughter, and then I had another one on the way. So I went and uh, just got a real job doing you know the normal developer stuff. I was building a CMS system um, for, big, for big arenas and so forth. Um, did that for a year, and then I found, uh, found Ian. 
Um, I actually found him from a guy I met at a Code Igniter conference. Um, so kind of neat how that, all that works together. But yeah. uh, so, so now I'm just full time at Userscape and I have uh, just a few little side projects running. Um, pretty much all of them's open source except for uh, a couple things that's not launched yet. But, uh, but yeah, so stay, I stay real busy doing all kinds of, <laughs> doing all kinds of different stuff. So when you were bootstrapping um, the classified script, now now that all, all seven years, were you just living on that or no? Yeah, well, the first year we did that and um, uh, I guess you call it kind of like consulting, basically custom development. Um, and then because it, it took, I guess it took about six months or so to actually get it marketable, you know, the original code that I built. Right. So then uh, I bought some Google AdWords and uh, we were selling it for like, I don't know, it was something crazy. It was like $50. Right. And uh, the, the first month we ended up having I don't know, like 200, 300 sales. Wow. And like, this isn't sustainable. You know, we can't support <laughs> this many people at this amount of money. So we, you know, jacked the price up and, uh, and then it kind of stapled out. And uh, yeah, it, it supported me and another guy for, for that pretty much the whole time. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Now, did you guys ever uh, think about like sassifying it as it got later on? I mean, even later, it was still only like, what, like 2007 or yeah. eight, I guess. So yeah, not really. We had some bad experiences with some data centers and hosting. Yeah. And so that kind of really scared us on the SAS back then, but uh, all that's so much better these days than what it used to be. I know people forget how horrible it was back then. I mean, it was like really <laughs> like you, you couldn't like get host, like hosting was a terrifying thing that like you research and you're like, does this random host in Arizona, is that like, are they going to be reliable? Who the hell knows? Like, yeah, yeah. We were with a big company and uh, they ended up going like something went wrong with the server and the, the technician went out there and just rebooted everything. And apparently the backups were corrupted for like the last two months or something and we lost everything yeah it was, oh. it was pain. like all of our you know customer records and our database and all this stuff so that was right. kind of a uh, a really hard time for us um but yeah yeah, yeah I, I don't miss those days <laughs> yeah well that's like when i was building help spot like i was like probably 80 percent done with help spot and i had a hard drive fail and everything was like gone and uh and i had been using this like crazy you know version control thing called Perforce. Like I had no idea how to use it or what the heck I was doing, but I just had it like running. And um, and then I, I think I had like burned a, a CD with like its backup. And so I was able to like go back and get that CD. And uh, so I lost like two or three weeks of work or something, but I still had, you know, it wasn't a total disaster. So I still had enough where I just had to make up that work. But um, yeah, like if that, I mean, literally that's how close I came to like, I userscape wouldn't exist. Cause if I had lost everything, like I wouldn't have been able to afford to spend another, you know, six months redoing everything from scratch uh, and all that. So it was uh, crazy how unreliable yeah. things were. Yeah. And I remember, you know, the first time we started with, uh, was it C- CSV? CBS? Yeah. CSV. One of the other. Yeah. Or, no, CBS. Yeah. C- Whatever the horrible one, yeah, you know, you'd have to go and pay like thirty bucks a month for a, some service that would host it for you because I, I never could get it all figured out to to run and and, uh, and and handle all that. So yeah, that was not fun times. So I much s- nicer I, with Git. I still have physical disks that were burned with like Antair backup, right? March two thousand four and stuff like that. Oh wow. Yeah, I think I've gotten rid of all those. I don't even think I, I think I have one CD player. It's like a detachable one somewhere, but computers don't even have CD players anymore. So I don't even know what I would do to that. But now it's so nice. Like I have the Backblaze running and then I have Time Machine. I have like 
you know, five tiered backup strategy. And plus then at least their sources, you know, like we have, we use GitHub or so you're either on GitHub or Bitbucket or most people are on one of those kind of things these days. So you kind of have multiple levels of backup of at least the code and all that stuff. I remember a couple of months back asking Eric on Twitter uh, how it felt having to go back to a full time after spending some years running a, a, you know, a bootstrap startup. And uh, I think he, I don't remember the details, but like the gist of it I got was like that he was grateful that he found like Use Escape, the company like that. Like I was saying at the beginning of the show, like there's a a world of difference in in the quality of a developer's life, depending on what company you find yourself in. Well, I mean, I think coming from like the Spolsky school of software development, you know, it's like that's always one of his big things is like building a company that like software developers really like to work in. So um, that's always been something that I've thought a lot about. And, uh, you know, it's always nice to hear that. I mean, definitely if I, you know, had to go work for another company uh, at some point, yeah, that would be hard. Like it would be hard. Like I wouldn't like a lot of the companies, like big company. I wouldn't like, you know, I think like a VC startup kind of thing wouldn't really be, my speed at least for most of them i mean i think there are some that are good and that would be a good place to work but um a lot of them like i wouldn't want to work like you know 120 hours a week you know on the hope that i'm gonna get become google or whatever so like that kind of place wouldn't really be for me so yeah it's uh it's hard out there to find good jobs yeah and the the nine to five is or eight to five is is kind of uh interesting too after you know, being on your own, you know, playing golf all morning and then working all afternoon right. and at night, um, you know, so, so that does take a little bit of adjustment. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Staying, but, staying up till 2 a.m. I know. I never did that really with Userscape. It's funny. Like, I don't know. I've never, I just always like got up and went to work. Like, I'm getting up and I'm going to work. Like when I, and so when we started hiring people, I was like, yeah, so we're working like eight to five hour lunch. And that, that just what I work and that's what we kind of do i mean um yeah i don't know i actually recently was thinking about i was like gosh should we like do something different there but i don't know i kind of like having everybody like at least and we have people in different time zones now but uh it's kind of nice when you have some overlap there just to be able to stay they communicate together and all that but yeah I don't know that. I I used to stay up late too (laughs) i would still get up and work and then i would just work until late which uh which is harder now with three kids. So. Yeah, and and that's another thing I've been struggling with is is uh, doing all my other side projects at night, you know, and, and still trying to go to bed at a decent time and and, yeah. and get up and you know the normal routine of, of life, I guess. So but, you're uh, you're big. I wanted to make sure we talk about it because uh, so you have like you know deep cover side projects. We don't have to get into, but we have. But, you know, Laravel News, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who know you from Laravel News, or they don't know it's you, but that you run Laravel News, which yeah. is a very popular Laravel News, like Twitter account and blog and newsletter now. Yeah, I started it, uh, I think I started the Twitter account when I started at Userscape, like when, yeah, like in that first month. And then this year I decided I would just make it into a little blog with, you know, post relevant things that I find and uh, do it. And then, because of Ian, I now do a weekly newsletter <laughs> that I spend 20 hours a week on. Yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I think he's mad at me about that. Yes, uh, I'm mad at him about that one. And uh, <laughs> so that that seems to be doing pretty well. And uh, it is a lot more time consuming than I 
really ever imagined it would be, but it's it's fun to do. You're and, uh, th- those newsletters. You're you're really going like in depth on them, though. You know, that's like a, a you know, it's yeah. a big project to put all those links together, and you usually have like commentary to start it off and all, all kinds of stuff in there. So those right. those newsletters take a lot of time. Yeah, and I wanted to do it. I wanted to be unique. You know, I didn't want to just post like you know these are what I put on the blog this week. You know, I wanted right. to actually have something something worth signing up for. So yeah. uh, that was kind of my whole mindset around doing it. And then, yeah, so so have that. And then um, I have a little, well, then what runs it is a little content or a little blog system I, I wrote called Wardrobe. And um, it's just real basic. And, you know, you write Markdown and it publishes your post. Um, so I've been working on a version two of that. And then uh, me and another guy are actually working on a book like a digital book publishing platform. And I hope to have that released in the next month. If all goes as planned. Yeah. So we'll see. So it's going to be digital books. And then um, if you want to sell printed books, we partner with printers so we can have that, you know, have everything taken care of for you. That's pretty cool. Which one is it like, um, I heard about a light stream or something like that. It's called, that's like on demand kind of publishing. I've heard that one. mm, I don't remember. It might not be the exact right name. Yeah. But uh, interesting. I know. See, everybody's so busy. Yeah, it's crazy. Except Chris. Chris is busy. He's a he's a good <laughs> he's a good segue because the newsletter. He's the newsletter man. I don't do anything. I'm not. <laughs> Chris is single. He's got bigger fish to fry than writing newsletters and. I'm going to call it single. Yeah, that's true. I shouldn't, I shouldn't know. That. That's true. Chris, you have, you have kids? I do not have kids. So in that sense, I have plenty of time. Or, he's not married. You're not married. Not married. Yeah. Um, live with my girlfriend. Um, and I, I should feel like I have all this time, but I don't. <laughs> well, that's because, that's because you're not married with children yet. Once you get there, you're like, holy shit, I had all this free time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> miss sleeping. I've run into this thing where if I have time to accomplish something, I won't do it. <laughs> I I have to feel like you need to I'm, be under the gun. Yeah, uh, a lot of people are like that. I feel like school did that to all of us. You know, it's like right. something about school makes you feel that way. Like you gotta you're under the gun with it all the time, and then as an adult, you can't function without that pressure. So, what's your background, Chris? Background. Yeah. Well, how far would you like to go? Oh. Burn. Burn, yeah. <laughs> Let's go Truman show on it. Let's start way back. Uh, you know, actually, I was thinking about this when Eric was saying um, what he did. Uh, I have actually forgotten about this, but in high school, I was selling paintball parts on eBay. Um, a friend yeah. of mine would get, I think my friend of mine, his father had a business of some sort. And if you have a business or like a tax ID or something, you're able to get paintball parts wholesale. So we would <laughs> buy all this stuff and then just sell it on ebay so it was like it was like almost sass except we use ebay we <laughs> right. didn't know that thing. um so it's we were playing- it's almost as good as getting 20 dollars worth of quarters for 27 dollars <laughs> yeah exactly i don't know if he made any money i don't remember um i had a really expensive paintball gun in high school at some point do those things hurt i've never i've never played paintball but it's intrigued me yeah. they can they can hurt they hurt you get welts when you get home. Yeah. yeah. You got to be quick. You got to be quick so you don't get hit. That's it's true. It's true. It's fun, though. It's really They're fun. also not meant for guys who have glasses on because that, that mask thing fogs up and you can't yeah. do anything with your glasses. Yeah. We, well, I 
also did stuff like in high school, even before high school, to like make money. I don't know if it's called like an entrepreneurial spirit or anything, but I remember <laughs> I was good at drawing. Like not out of my head, but like like if I see a picture, I could like mimic it and stuff. Right. So I used to comics were big, but now you can't find a comic book in comic book store anywhere. But comics were big back in the nineties early 90s and i used to draw like i used to get like these x-men comics and i used to draw like scenes out of them on a big like poster board type of thing and sell them out in front of my house really yeah how much you get for those those like a a bank yeah (laughs) (laughs) they didn't have any any poignant messages associated (laughs) with them uh i don't remember how much like 50 cents or something nice i never had like a lemonade stand or anything like that i don't know i never really i bought a vending machine really yeah and then i never could figure out how to program it so everything was 50 (laughs) cents the whole time i owned it where was it it's on the side of the street no, it was one of those little ones, and it was because uh, earlier I was talking about my family had a dealership, so I stuck it in the dealership in the waiting nice. room. So when people would come in, they would nice. they'd want to buy some snacks. So yeah, so it was like candy and chips kind of thing, right? Yeah, and crackers. I'd go to Sam's once a week, you know, and spend like two hundred dollars with, really? with all my quarters that I made. <laughs> so that sounds like it was bought for a vending machine. Is yeah, I, pr- I probably broke even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting. All right, so Chris, like, give us give us a rundown on what you're up to here. So we got high school ebay um and that story that story got me into college that was like what all of my um what do you have to write all the essays you had to write for college i think that got me into somewhere that that is a good experience well especially back then because it's like you're on the internet you're like cutting edge you know yeah right like what is this internet thing right it wasn't that long ago but um what else i don't know so right now i'm doing the servers for hackers newsletter i guess i guess that's really my main side project and so what's that all about so being a PHP developer, I have suffered through this thing of not actually knowing how my code runs on anything because right. it just works. Right. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, exactly. But I was working at a marketing company and I had enough like three to five a.m. sprints of getting stuff done on a deadline where I realized I really like had no idea about huge number of stuff in the background of um, like, you know, servers and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I started just like writing everything I've learned and looked up and all that stuff after that. And that kind of has slowly turned into a blog. And then for a blog, I started this newsletter that's really specific to server type stuff. Um, And I bring up the PHP stuff because it's really geared towards PHP developers who can start coding. You know, this is the good and the bad thing about PHP is they can just start coding and stuff just works because PHP just kind of integrates with like web server type stuff. Um, Whereas other languages, you have to learn more to get yourself started to actually get like a working web page. So all this knowledge that you might otherwise have to accumulate just just doesn't happen. So like people have gone for years, people like myself uh, developing without... What's that? I said end me. (laughs) Uh, Without like having to... Um, learn all this like server stuff, like how to make a server, how to make a web server and how to configure it. And if something breaks, where do you look to find errors and fix them and all that kind of stuff. So, so the newsletter is that it's a lot of really basic stuff. Um, and I format it kind of like a hybrid of a blog and a newsletter. So every two weeks, it goes out every two weeks because as you guys were saying, newsletters take a long time to write. Uh, and I basically write like a blog post on one or two topics and blast that out the newsletter. So it'll be kind of sort of basic stuff 
about servers and, you know, web servers and kind of tricks you can do. But it's like super well received. I mean, people, you always see people talking about it and people are always jumping on the mailing list. So I think it's yeah. marketing of it's been really good too. Like servers for hackers is a kind of clear message there. Right. I mean, I hope. I never, I was a little nervous about calling it a hacker's thing, especially right. like <laughs> programming related. But I mean, right. I haven't had any calls from the NSA yet. So that's good. <laughs> I always thought system administrators were like as close to like much, they're much cooler than programmers. Like they're like wizards. Like I remember really looking up when I, when I was working uh, nine to five, I remember really looking up to like the system administrator guys as opposed to like programmers because they like, they like knew magic. Like they could right. pull off in a, in a line of shell script, like what would take me like days to write in C++. And like, I always remember they had like these weird personalities, like this one guy who was like the head sysadmin, he used to wear like army fatigues going in, had pictures of like Sherman tanks as his background, <laughs> he used to talk about Nam all the time. And like, he used to ask him to do stuff and he used to pull off these insane things out of his head and like shell script, these cryptic pearl like stuff, yeah. and just get everything accomplished. And then when I sort of started thinking about SAS stuff later on, years down the road, I always thought that it would be a really cool sort of like thing to be able to be a really good system administrator and yet offer your services like as a SaaS thing. So almost right. like a hybrid of product freelance type of a deal. Um, I don't see that many of them around. They're usually like plunked together with hosting companies or, or you know fully managed server companies or something. But like to be able to offer your services like like Super Ninja whatever system administrator i'll just parachute in do my magic on your server and and disappear that would do well that's why I, I think like where before i started user escape i worked at this college and yeah i knew those same like one of the systems was i mean he just wore all black and he had long blonde hair and like a dirty ponytail kind of thing and like you know he's like a hardcore guy he wrote this like wi-fi network tracker thing and you know just like all that kind of stuff and committing to linux kernel all that kind of stuff and uh but like it's always having those kind of guys around it's like that's one of the reasons why i've always kind of gone for managed servers i think it's like oh like i don't want to learn to do it because it's like hard and like look at the kind of guy who has to manage the servers like that's a serious guy and i can't be that guy so that's why it's been uh it's been funny i think how i've always kind of gravitated towards that route but the guys convinced me actually that we could we could handle snappy on our own so we got we got the team here so we're gonna that's why we're gonna move it off and i mean you get a lot more flexibility that way which is really nice so pretty excited for us to do that and and see how that goes but i I remember we met a bunch of times before you hired anybody and like every time we met i kept asking you why not do a SaaS of hellspot and you're like i i I can't be held responsible for all the servers (laughs) (laughs) like i live in eternal fear of the server like i mean there's a lot more better tools now and stuff too which i think it's yeah it's all been much more fleshed out than it was uh back in the day but but yeah that's true servers that's where you go to the physical world everything's everything's like virtualized so you don't even have to know about i don't know i don't even know what i don't know like all the all the stuff that's system admins now i don't know i just that's why everything i do is so geared towards programmers aka right. hackers right because it's all like the stuff you need to go do and commonly and the stuff that breaks commonly and everything but the really deep file system stuff and how that all works and how it can break it's just i don't know yeah well i think that's what like a lot of that stuff has changed though, right? like, i mean there's still somebody in the world who needs to know that stuff but like in back in the day like you might have really actually needed to know how that worked like you own this server something's wrong with the file system you have to fix it Whereas now it's like, whatever.
whenever I spin up a new server and I destroy the old one and it doesn't matter. Or even simple things like everybody just uses Ubuntu now. And so, you know, 10 years ago, it's like, well, do I use Scent or Debian or whatever 78 flavors of Linux there are? And I mean, there's still 78 flavors of Linux, but now there's kind of the one or maybe two that everybody just uses. And the other ones are kind of really for specialized tasks. So just even stuff like that that you don't have to think about anymore. And then you have cloud servers and you have things like Forge. And so it's just a lot simpler to kind of get rolling with it and manage it at least somewhat on your own um, versus, you know, out, just outsourcing it because it's all too big and scary. But Chris, Chris also, uh, you have Implementing Laravel, which is true. Book. I wrote an ebook. Um, yeah, I did that. So that's uh, what did, I started writing that when I was in my last job before Userscape. Uh, yeah. And I started finding myself with like a little bit of free time. And I just started, I was writing a lot about Laravel in my blog. And that just kind of turned into a book. Um, I saw a few people do them, you know, Dale, and there's maybe one or two that were out. Um, and I, early. yeah, exactly. You got to get in the boat early of that. Cause then a million popped up. <laughs> I still like Taylor has to uh, has to patent Laravel stuff. Then he could just cash in on all the royalties from all these. Yeah, people. right. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Good idea. Laravel Pro. I'm a total moron for not doing that to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't work. I think even when you started, we looked at something that was like a pro framework there. Um, I think it was like a couple years ago. I think it was while you worked there. But uh, I don't yeah. know what it's called. Somebody was trying to sell framework, but it's hard in the PHP world. There's such a culture against that kind of thing that, I mean, I think you could, you know, in, in like the Microsoft universe, people sell code all the time, but definitely, definitely harder in PHP. I'm about to sell Dribbleton to Linux people. Yeah, I don't know why you're building this thing next. Like, I mean, to ask you that. I'm like, why is he wasting his time on Linux? First of all, first of all, I gotta say that whole thing about people saying that Linux is ready for Showtime and desktop Linux—that's all nonsense. It is. Yeah. It is such a such a nightmare to get. And you were saying that all the all the distributions are basically the same if you narrow them down. I could not get Scribbleton to compile against cleanly against three things, three distribu- distributions. Yeah. They all had different libraries. It was just a nightmare to build Scribbleton on Linux. I have to do it because the whole thing is uh, better, uh, better cross-platform tools. And now I understand why they all suck. Because nobody impossible cares about build. Linux. You think maybe, cares maybe, about- maybe they do. Well, maybe they do. Maybe it's just so goddamn hard to build anything <laughs> for, for for Linux that nobody's doing it. And maybe well, that, there's a whole true. community there that's that's untapped. And you don't know because somebody's got to try. And I might as well spend an extra Which couple of days one. and get this thing running on Linux. I'm still not sure if it's going to run. <laughs> But, so that you're using the what's it called? What is what is that? that QT. QT. So that does that is like theoretically inherent. Mac in deployment was trivial. Yeah. And because uh, Mac packages everything up into like a directory that looks like a file, so it's just trivial. It's actually a whole bunch of files, but it's like right. it looks like one thing. So that's that's brilliant from you know consumer point of view. And on Windows, there was just this whole macro language thing that builds an installation script for you, and that kind of worked. Which was fine. I mean, it worked as long as you identified the libraries. Because right. with uh, with Qt, it's um, LGPL uh, if you dynamically link. But if you statically link, which will make your life much easier, you gotta pay them as much money as it takes to figure out. You gotta call them and figure out how much it, uh, it is. It's one of yeah, those deals. Yeah. 
Uh, so everybody does dynamic linking, so everybody has to figure out which libraries go along with that stuff. And this isn't like, this is hard. This is like C and C++ dynamic linking. You got to like figure out what depends on what depends on what depends on what. It's like right. <laughs> and then you get to Linux and it's insanity. It's just, it's like Windows times 100 in terms of figuring out what libraries are on where. All the libraries are in different versions. All the distributions come with different versions of the libraries. Yeah. What the distribution considers to be the latest version of the library is different from another distribution. It's just a nightmare. So, what do you what? Which Linux distributions are you officially supporting here? I went to um, I think it's DistroWatch is the website. Mm-hmm. And they have like the top ten. I just I just grabbed the top three and I tested on those. I think it's Mint, Ubuntu, and and um, Debian. Mint? I never even heard of that one. I ever. haven't heard of it either. But the last time I looked at Linux was like twelve years ago. So. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Linux Mint. And it turned out to be actually the, the most sort of uh, Mac slash Windows desktop-like okay. experience. So it was pretty small. Yeah. But there's stuff like on version 12 and 14 that's like nowhere – I wouldn't call it alpha. It's just <laughs> terrible experience. So, so when, is, when is this guy shipping? So here's the thing. It? I was about to ship it because I finally – I spent three days writing a Linux deployment. I finally finished it, and, and then uh, my wife – who does all the design for the company stuff. She was passing by and she's like, what is that? And I didn't tell her because it's like alpha. And uh, so I told her, this is Scribbleton. It's a personal wiki and I'm going to ship 1.0 alpha because I want to do it like Minecraft style with a very early deployment and stuff. Right. And she's like, uh-uh, you're not shipping that. <laughs> I'm like, why not? Because like, it looks like ass. Oh, back um, to design. I'm not going to... I mean, she literally designed every product that we shipped the UI for. So... I'm not going to, you know, go over her head on this because it's like, you know, the the face of the products is her work. So deal. it went back to the factory. She's redesigning uh, it. So, but it's ready. It's, it's ready to go, ready-ish. but it, she's doing a new skin for it. So now, and, now I have to implement that new UI. And where does it all connect? Connects over Dropbox? I mean, you like put it in a shared, you have to manage where you put it on your own. It's a file. You can stick it wherever you want. Right, right, right. And then if it's on Dropbox or whatever, you could uh, access it from. The whole idea is that it's going to be licensed per user, so not per machine. So you could download it and right. run, you know, access it through whatever operating system you want. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting. I don't know if I – I had an idea for a couple of others. I don't know. Depending on the sales for this thing, uh, if the sales for this thing are not that good, um, the the amount of time that it takes to create a desktop app is much larger than like a web app for that version of functionality, for like the alpha stage of functionality. So I don't know if it'll be worth it to make any subsequent products that are like like positioned that way with desktop for multi-product, multi-platform type of a thing. It might be better to look at like a help spot style, deployed, self-hosted. Everything. Yeah, because I, I still want to do a project management tool for freelancers um, that was going to be Scribbleton style, um, but it might not be. It, yeah. Scribbleton style, huh? Scribbleton style, multi-platform, but desktop. Desktop. Interesting. I think I think there's still a lot of like use cases for those things, you know, where people want to control yeah. where the data is and stuff. So like, not even that, but like, I'm looking at like accountants, like a guy working as an accountant who's not that big with computers and whatever. There's like a whole sea of people like that. Yeah. Who would not go looking at a SaaS offering, whatever. He's you know, he has QuickBooks that he purchased and he'll purchase like Scribbleton. He purchased like a Scribbleton style of 
project management software to manage his clients or something. So it'll run on his desktop. And like there's an there, there there's all of these things that are coming out now, modern software packages that are not like that. They're all web based. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's mobile or web based. Like nobody's building new stuff. Well there's there's new stuff on the desktop, but not as much fervor as obviously SAS or Yeah. So or, I'm uh, thinking mobile. there's probably there's probably a good untapped market there. But I'll see. You know, Scribbleton is kind of an experiment. Thing. Thing. What else what else we got? We're at the one hour point. See, I get to say it today. We're at the one hour point. <laughs> I wanted to uh talk about one thing because we kind of have yeah. a divide about um like two groups of people. Because a lot of you guys will make a software product, but uh me and people like Jeffrey Way of Laracast and some of Eric are doing a lot of content based stuff right. and trying to make money off of that. So I don't know if you guys had like any ideas on that difference in terms of like being bootstrapped or if you guys have done any really content based stuff before. Um, you know, it's like a different world. <laughs> when, yeah. You know, in the, the Joel and Software forums where we got started, nobody was doing that. I don't, I can't think of a single person who was doing that. Uh, the content. Not in stuff. such a formal, like we, some people, have, like I had a blog and people had blogs. But to, that was to, it, to, right? to, to, um, compliment their, their other stuff usually. Yeah. Right. But like, if you look at the discussed that bootstrap forums now, where like a lot of the new generation of, of bootstrappers, like, I think like, like at least 30% of them are doing like entirely just content based products. Yeah. Well, it's also too, it's like kind of like all the way back to the beginning where we we're talking about like having an audience and all that. Like it's very tricky because it's, yeah. Do you build that audience first or? Or do you just try to make money on content products in and of themselves? Or you have a bigger goal of that's just your launching point? Like, I don't know. I feel like like with the userscape in particular feel better about it than i normally do right because i feel like you guys done it so whether it's laravel news or server service for hackers those are things you guys like doing and you are doing them and they're working and you're growing your audience and so doing it for because you like doing it and you think it's useful um like you're not necessarily doing it you weren't like i really want to build the software product first i'm going to build you know servers for hackers so that i have a bunch of hackers you know so that i explicitly have this other software product in mind now obviously if you have a list of many thousands of people then you have some options to do things in the future but um it has value in and of itself whereas i feel like a lot of people start off with just uh somebody told me to write an ebook i'm just gonna write an ebook because then people will watch what i'm doing and then i can sell them a SaaS app and i feel like that's a little iffier on if that's really gonna work um for you you know so did did y'all guys see that post by uh that marco guy about uh um, it was about podcast networks, but uh, one, right. of his, one of his quotes was, you know, even with my big following, it, you know, the stuff I created wasn't great. So it, it just failed. And, uh, yep. you know, it's kind of interesting how that how that works. Even if you have the big following, it's not going to it's not going to really help if what you're if what you're creating is not good. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And if it's not like, is it quality enough? Is it like you built this audience, but is then the thing you're going to try to sell them really something that audience wants? Like in Marco Armin's case, right? Like he has this big geek audience. And so he does this podcast about cars and nobody listens because geeks don't care about cars. So like, yeah, it still all has to line up, Um, which is uh, one of the things I think we've talked about here before. One of the problems I always have with it is like, if you get too far ahead like that, I don't know, just keep your alignment through all those things is really difficult. Like, so you start out with this content thing to get to the software thing and you have to really keep that aligned uh, very specifically if like you're planning that all out from day one rather than more of an organic situation where you're doing it because that's value in and of itself. And then, you know, then from there, uh, you know, it could be a launching point for other things. 
So in yeah. some in some ways, I feel like we're all fighting like an uphill battle with the way we do things. Whether it's product and then maybe on the merit of the product, we build a community or start a community first, and then off of the community, we 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 build some products for those people. Um, because, like for example, I think the, all both of those things are uphill because. I, I've seen a couple of companies, even one of my clients, uh, uh, she, she has a product, for example, that she sells, and, and she has, it's not very well designed at all, it didn't have a designer, and it's very, very expensive, and and she doesn't really have that much like of a, a startup audience to begin with, right. but the product is like so focused, and the market is so under, underserved that it was almost like it was almost like opening opening like a door and there's a vacuum outside. The people just flew in when the right. product came on market. It was just it's not very it's not it's so focused and there's like so little available to those people that like she didn't have to like she basically announced it in like the one or two channels that was available to her and that's it. And she got all of these sales. Like there's no there's no friction at all. There's no like building up a community. There's no marketing of a product. It's just like here. This is what exactly what you wanted, and I'm offering right. things. It's not the prettiest thing in the world. It'll cost you some money, but it'll solve your exact specific problem. And just like the other day, I saw some company hiring on Twitter. I don't remember what what the the, the job position was. I think it was for a salesperson or something. And there was a software company. I always click on those because I want to see like what kind of software companies are hiring and what kind of software companies are growing and stuff. And they make, I don't remember the name of the company, they make a uh, essentially a, 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 a project management tool, like every other project management tool out there, but it's specifically for people who install countertops in kitchens. Oh, right. Yeah, I know about those guys. Yeah. And like, that's incredible. Like you right. made this thing that everybody makes, but specific, no, you, if you do not install a countertop in kitchens, you can't use this product. But for the people that do that, they will use that specific thing. And they're like at a point where they're hiring like multiple like salespeople and support. So they're growing, obviously. Yeah. So like like both of those are wrong. Product and then audience is wrong and audience and then product is, is too much, takes too much time. It's like almost like you have to find that underserved market and that's like the avenue of least friction but that's almost like you have to be in the in the right position in life that that you have that's the only way to see that channel yeah also too it's kind of like yeah i just think with like competing on the SaaS level you do have a lot more you have to really think about that differentiation more like i think we could even done a better job of that with snappy even and like um, whereas in the old days that wasn't, I feel like so important, but now, especially if you're like bootstrapping, like, yeah, you need to be super niche like that. Like it's, even though, even though that software probably would work fine for anybody who installs anything, mm-hmm. uh, they could like just by marketing it only to that group, you know, you can give yourself more focus and a, a tighter scope and that can be clear, you know, who it's for all those kind of things versus uh, being more general, which I think back in the day, being more general was kind of better, but I don't know. It does seem, especially for a bootstrapper where you don't advertise and you can't do a lot of those things, you don't have a big audience of some type already. Uh, like being more focused like that is definitely a plus um, to get enrolling. But then, but the only other thing with that is like dev stuff. Right? Like devs are weird. So I don't know. If you're selling to devs, I feel like that's, all, that's like a special case because they're very trendy and cool and. I don't know. I feel like a lot, you can just throw stuff out there. It's like whenever a new editor comes out and people move to it, and like now everybody's back on PHP Storm. And PHP Storm's been out forever, but now everybody's back to <laughs> PHP Storm. Like, you know, it's it's weird how it kind of goes in circles. Whereas real, like real businesses, quote unquote, or regular, just 
countertop installer guys, like when they find a piece of software, they just stay with that forever. Like they're not moving off of that unless something horrible happens or they get screwed somehow, um, or at the very least it's going to be six, seven years and the, they look around and they say, oh, well, there is something a little better now. But, you know, nobody moves in six months or whatever. Like, right. uh, so that's kind of an interesting difference there, too. But, and also with content, too, like the way I do Laravel News and like the servers for hackers, to me, like you, ha- you have to have your own product that you're going to eventually market or sell because you, you can't really rely on advertising um, you know, until you get to a certain point or you have somebody that's actually going to go out and, and get the advertisers for you. Um, so that, you know, that is kind of the thing where I'm at. It's like I'm spending all this time and, and effort into building this, but I don't really have an end goal. You know, it's just like I'm just doing it because I like it. And uh, so that, that, you know, I don't know. That's kind of weird for me. It's something I've never done before. But see, like, that's awesome. Like, see, that's where I kind of miss that. <laughs> like, I'm like, I want to build something just because I like it. Like, I haven't done that in forever. Just like, oh, I just build this because I like it. And that's it. Like, I don't know, just because I've been doing this so long and it's always like, you know, how does this help the business? What does this let us do? How does this tangentially related? Like, and to just have something that's like, oh, I do this because people like it and it's cool. Like you, you got to try yeah, one of those like, one of those silly little game competitions. Forty. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I should try that. I don't think. I don't even know. I, I literally so scares me to death because I couldn't possibly have left them an idea where to start with something like it that. It cleanses the palate. It's completely out of the left field for what you do every day. That would be interesting. I always feel like I can't give up the time like that, but yeah. I should probably try to, to give up some time. To, but that's the beauty. That. It forces you into that 48 hours, and that's it. Nobody's going <laughs> to bother you after that. True. It is 48 hours, so that's not so bad. You can you can do that. You should have built Yo. Yes. Ah, <laughs> yes. Totally should have built Yo. We got to dedicate some users. We got to dedicate some users time to like, I don't know, like maybe this winter, like at, like around Christmas time when it's like slow and nobody wants to work. You just like, build a derivative, just build like. Just stuff. build a stupid thing. Like, yeah, no, we should got to spend like three days or something, build something stupid. Like, and just see, see if it works. People like it. I mean, that, that took that guy five minutes. Totally disruptive in the communication space. <laughs> he's, he's the next AT&T. For sure. <laughs> like I one think, of those guys, Atlantean, I think, they built um, Angry nerds that time too yeah, yeah i remember that yeah i haven't seen that i don't think i ever saw that but that yeah something like that but i feel like that's like news like ruins everything for you you know what i mean because like you see the stupid stuff and it's not real but like it seems real because it's talked about so much but really it's all you know it's all bullshit like occasionally something that seems like bullshit becomes real the gram or something like that that maybe at first you're like yeah you know okay i can filter it's kind of cool whatever but so much of it's just you know whatever's a good story oh here's a guy who made an app that's one word okay like the that's mil- a million dollar home page right yeah exactly oh yeah guy all that kind of stuff eh, they just need all this all these new sites that need something to talk about so they're just troll trolling through the jillion new apps every day to find something ridiculous and talk about it but i don't know Appster's crazy anyway like I, i'm surprised he got that through you would think that i mean you see all these like real apps that have trouble getting through and here's a guy who's got an app that sends one word and a message yeah i don't know what the hell's going on in the app store there, there's like weird there's like Stuff with no ratings that was released yesterday. That's like number thirteen in the paid charts. There's like, there's like, there's like entries where you see an entry for an app, and then like five spots later, an entry for the same exact app. 
Yeah. There's like weird things going on. I have no idea what's happening in the app store. Yeah, like even the, so the Snappy app got there the other day and Oh yeah, Snappy um, got a mobile app. Why isn't that announced? Yep, Come on, yep. announce it. We well, did announce it. Well, but yeah, we never talked nobody, about nobody nobody Yeah, it's a mobile app now, which uh Taylor did a nice job on and it's out in the world and uh we haven't had any huge implosions yet, a couple little bugs, but nothing crazy. So that's been good. Uh and but yeah, I, but you, you can't search for it. Like I'm like searching Snappy, like oh, ser- searching the app store has been broken since the beginning of the app store horrible so like and i had to name it snappy support because the word snappy was already taken mm-hmm. and i probably should call it b snappy but anyway it doesn't come up. i figured out uh, snappy like it should be all, it should come up but that's, so I don't know, it's kind of annoying. not that with our thing it's not really a big deal because put it uh we, we note to everybody we gotta we should put it in the app somewhere that there's a mobile app but uh anyway you know, we'll link, we have it linked and all that and it'll be on the website, whatever. But so for us, it's not like critical, but still it's annoying. How can search not work? I mean. Oh, I wanted to mention something. I forgot. I have it in Trello. It's just a quick note. I was looking at the um, deployment stuff for Scribbleton again. Yeah. And uh, on Windows, I haven't released a, a Windows desktop app since like Windows 98 or something. Right. On Windows now, I gave Victoria a build to test, and she has a, a, a Windows 8 box, right? Mm-hmm. And she's running this thing, and she double-clicked on the EXE, and it popped up this scary-looking screen that says, this is from an unknown publisher, blah, 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 blah. And the worst part is that it says, click here to expand, and then you have to confirm that you're aware that this app could do untold damages to your machine and could kill right. your whole family and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And it's not like even the dismiss. You have to click like three different times to be able to run the app. Like, are you sure you want to run it? Are you sure you want to yeah. run it? And I thought this was like one of those things that maybe now you have to do like an apply for some sort of permission or put in some sort of a license file or something and register mm-hmm. your, your app with Microsoft or something so you could run your yeah or maybe it's a special build or whatever but right. it turns out there's like, like windows smart screen technology it's like an extortion now you have to essentially have your app be not reported as awful by enough people to microsoft uh, for that thing not to pop up so uh, like if a hundred thousand people or whatever it is don't report you as spam or as malware then you're okay but until that happens that thing is gonna <laughs> pop up which essentially means no person that's outside of like my immediate group of people who knows what scribbleton is will ever trust scribbleton on windows uh, as an alternative you could go to simontech and pay them a thousand dollars a year there you go to, <laughs> you know that was an alternative <laughs> to give you a certificate to plug in that would minimize the number of people that would have to not report you as malware <laughs> before you could run cleanly because the mac does something similar right but don't you only have to be like in a developer program and you can sign it or something like that i think there's some way to do it i don't know i was able to release stuff on the mac and just give it and to people and that? they could run it yeah really that might maybe be an app store thing as opposed to just a regular build thing oh maybe but this is just a regular build thing on windows which is like this is essentially extortion pays a thousand dollars and nobody will ever download this thing ever are you putting scribbleton in the mac app store no why? Oh, that's the only place I get software. I know. We talked about this. You're 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 silly. <laughs> Everything right. sucks. You guys are lucky. You don't have a platform. Uh, you you don't have to have a forced relationship with a platform vendor in the web space. What do you mean? We help spots installed on. Ask Chris. He's in these horrible Windows installs all the time, digging around for weird sure. stuff. Well, help spot, yeah. Yeah. But like yeah. in the pure web world, like PHP yeah. world, you don't have that that relationship forced on you. 
Yeah, that's not as bad these days because everybody just uses Ubuntu and a few people use Windows, I guess, and that's pretty much it. But I don't know. It's still out there. You still have to deal with these servers and they're horrible. I just want servers to go away completely. We don't think about it at all, parent. But I guess you have those things like Google has that thing now, but... Yeah, with like every every string attached to Magic. Yeah, there's all kinds of weird hoops you got to jump through, so it's not really a solution either. Ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> all right, are we going to get back to regular recording here or what? We, we had, I was sick. You were sick. Good, and then you, we went, got... you went to the doctor and got special happy pills. Yeah, I don't know. I still I feel okay. But I'm, not, I'm not convinced I'm entirely cured, but I'm functional for now, so that's good. <laughs> um, you better be careful. You might take pills and lose that magic that makes you Ian Lensman. That's true. That's true. I might get too square. I think I was already pretty square. See, if anything, the pills should make me unsquared. We'll see. <laughs> they're they're messing with my dreams. So that's something. That's good. Every episode now we got we get an original Ian Lensman nightmare. <laughs> no, that's your thing. <laughs> Was there one already? Did I miss it? Yes, at the beginning yeah. of the show. You're gonna uh, have to listen to the podcast. That's cool. So, now I have something to listen to. It had Dr. Dre in it. Yeah, this is the Andre nightmare, though, not an Ian. I had an Andre uh, nightmare. Yeah, Andre had a Dre nightmare. I don't know. It was a really long story, and I'm not sure it had enough payoff for me. Like, I thought there was, <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was going to be a little more, like, than me and Dre, like, got in a limo and we were cruising around or something. No, like, it's the I evil was, Dre. Evil Dre. Uh, Dre's not evil. Dre's awesome. This is like you and Mad Men. Who, me and Mad Men? You're critiquing uh, Andre's dreams and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dream I feel like there was going to be more payoff. Not after exactly. I just no, hey, Andre, the whole thing. You said you haven't watched Breaking Bad, have you? No, or Mad Men? Oh shit! I can't. I can't watch. Se- I can't watch sex on TV. I, we talked about this. Like before. on AMC. I don't care. <laughs> No I don't sex. care. I can't. I can't. I can't. It's minor sex. Minor Not sex. Minor sex. Minor. Totally. We we just lost our entire iTunes placement with, with, with Ian saying phrases like minor <laughs> sex. <laughs> Listen, here we go. Popping off. I've seen them all. You haven't. We watched them together. Oh God, this is gonna be like the. Uh, what's that thing on? Uh, this idea. We're doing this. We can have the user escape crew on a rotation. They've all seen most of this except for chris who has to finish breaking bad and two episodes two episodes and i guess i don't know uh taylor watched some of mad men but hasn't finished it i know eric and chris have you seen mad men i watched no. the first three episodes yeah uh, we, we, got, we gotta have puppets this is like mystery science theater 3000 oh man i miss that show so much <laughs> You know what? This is. Uh, I think I'm. I this just popped in my head also because I, uh, I was subconsciously uh, kind of exposed to this already. But there's a podcast I saw came across my radar that was. It's called like Lost Rewatch, and it's basically these people rewatching Lost from the beginning and talking about it. The first episode was not very good. I don't know. It was like the two main guys seemed like they might be okay, but then these guests and the guests were kind of weird. I don't know. I didn't really like it. So it takes time to wind up anything. Like the first episode of Seinfeld was terrible. That's true. It's true. But I think we can do it. Lost podcast you're talking about reminds me of those guys we've, uh, We've talked about they call into sports radio like for twenty years every day. <laughs> like, I can't let it go. I love those guys. Like they have a name for them, you know. Like they, yeah. it's like Bob from you know Poughkeepsie, and everybody knows them. And I always that's wonder. I'm, that's how I imagine these Lost and Breaking Bad podcasts like ten years from now. 
Right? <laughs> they just can't. You just picture the comic book guy from The Simpsons. I never watched The Simpsons. Exactly. Simpsons didn't work for me. Really? That's kind of surprising. Yeah. I, maybe I should go back. Maybe we should rewatch The Simpsons, except there's like 20 years of them, so that could really be. Well, I mean, really you got to have a podcast that lasts a while. That's right. It's going to be like a four-year-long podcast. As we go through every <laughs> I can't. I can't. You guys have to. You guys, as a separate entrepreneurial avenue, need to start selling tickets to your hip chat chat room. I know. People want in on that. There you go. <laughs> we should let them in. We we should have an open chat like hour at some point. That could be fun. Uh, then we wouldn't be able to see. We wouldn't be able to be ourselves though. So it's a little tricky. I'm not yeah. sure it would be as exciting as everybody thinks. But you got to have them sign a release form. You know, hip right. chat's a safe place. That's uh, right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's our it's our bastion of you know sanity. All right. Thanks, user scape crew. Thanks, guys. Thank fun. Yeah. Thank you. I'll see you guys back in the chat in a moment. Uh, and we'd like to thank uh, Linode, 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 Linode. We agreed, right? Yeah, I think it's Linode. Linode. We're going to confirm with them. It's Linode. I confirmed it on their Twitter. There we go. Damn, Taylor. Nice <laughs> job. <laughs> He's handed up around this guy. He never All stops right. working. This guy is sitting about two seconds from presenting on stage at Laracon. He's sitting there hacking away on his computer. <laughs> Living dangerously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to Lino for supporting a podcast. Thanks to the Userscape guys for coming on. Thanks to Ian for yep. being Ian. <laughs> Thanks to Andre <laughs> for being Andre. It's a All big right. hug. All, All right, right. We'll, we'll see you next week. We will do another one. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>